Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the state of the rally with jobs, inflation, and the Fed in focus. We'll discuss and debate the road ahead with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss, Jim Labenthal. Check the market. It's been a little bit all over the place. We're trying to hang positive. S&P's gone a smidge negative, though. There's the Dow high by about 14. NASDAQ's in the red. 425 is the 10-year. We did have that hotter-than-expected jobs report. The 10-year moved up on that a bit. The unemployment rate has dropped to 3.7%. Joe, I come to you first. Um, Odds of a rate cut in March have decreased. Maybe that's a good thing because some thought that was delusional to begin with. Um, You miss sentiment was up. Inflation expectations down and down a lot, and that helped turn the market. But how do you see things today? Well, I see things as I usually do in terms of positioning. And I think the market in particular in the uh, bond market was positioned for a break below 4% in a 10-year Treasury. You obviously are not getting that. In fact, within the last hour, we're seeing a gradual rise in yield. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. I think what that means for the viewers, if you do have significant gains in the crowded areas of the market, again, to borrow from Mike Santoli's line, I think you're thinking about maybe uh, paring back some holdings there and looking to redeploy capital elsewhere. Weiss, did anything really change today for, for either the narrative or the trend? Uh, slightly. And here's why I say that, because the market's not down significantly after having a big run. Uh, you know, for a couple of days this week. And I say that the market's not down significantly because look at rates, as Joe was pointing to. Rates have moved up quite a bit today based on the jobs number. So equity sees it different from, uh, from the bond market. And I think that's kind of interesting. That speaks to a continued rally through the end of the year, with the only difference being that uh, you'll get binary events uh, next week. The Fed meetings is really going to be an afterthought and a sideshow to what we get with CPI and PPI. Yeah. So, that, that's, so that's, be, that's how you have to position. That, so that's going to be interesting, yeah. though, because you do get those reads, Jenny, uh, before the Fed you know, makes a decision that most expect is going to be a no decision, uh, certainly on a, on a hike. Uh, but the commentary is going to be very important. Do, do you feel like anything changed at all today with these numbers? No, I don't think anything changed, but the way I'm looking at it is this week and today, things are really solidifying. So I was pretty sure at the end of October with earnings that we had a change of leadership starting. And so when Joe says um, 
move from, you know, that he's hearing move from the crowded space to the underperformers or however you're going to phrase it, to me that defines change of leadership. And so what I'm seeing is days like today, days like yesterday, it's re actually really the last week, it's just solidifying that change in leadership. We're marching more towards the crowded space, not performing. We all know that the Fed's on hold. I don't think Fed, I don't think Fed rhetoric's going to matter too much probably for the next six months. Yeah, you know, Joe, it's interesting. You talked about, you know, maybe lightening up a little bit on positions of, yes. of big winners, and I find you doing that today. You sold half of three positions. You sold half of J.P. Morgan. It's been the best performing financial this year. You sold half of your Uber, which is up 150% this year. You sold half of Broadcom, which is up 60% this year. Take me through those decisions. Why today? Scott, I think the, the, the chase for performance is over. And I think the chase for performance really was being dictated by the significant move lower in yields that we've witnessed since the beginning of November. Um, as I said this morning, you had the inability to break below 4%. And it seemed to make sense to me with such significant gains in each one of those three equity names that you mentioned to reduce the size of the holdings and to begin to look to redeploy capital elsewhere in areas of the market where the market has underperformed. This isn't a referendum on the market overall. I think the market is in a fine position. But in the case of Uber, you have a company that is consumer facing. Well, now what I'd look to do is I want to have a consumer facing company that actually will also benefit from the absent participation in 2023 from Asia, in particular from China. So one of the names I'm studying is Nike. I haven't done anything in Nike and I might not do anything for the next several weeks, but that would be an example of how I'm looking to take advantage of that theory on the consumer. The second cell, which is JP Morgan, I'm looking to redeploy that capital into Morgan Stanley, into Goldman Sachs, or even into a regional bank like Regions Financial. And then lastly, on Avago, I have my eye once again on one of my favorite names, Twilio, Scott. I think Twilio, within the next two weeks, I'm going to reestablish a position. There. But something you said, interesting, you, you, you note the markets yes. and you use the word inability to, to break below 4% on the 10-year. Um, are you that impatient? I mean, We've gone from no, five percent. Look at it. We've gone for five, no. from five percent <laughs> all the way down. I mean, why don't you give it a chance? Uh, but no, 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 Scott. Always think about how the market is positioned. As the market approached five percent in a ten-year Treasury on October twenty-sixth, when you got that Q3 GDP at four point nine percent, the market at that point should have exceeded five percent, but it could not because the overwhelming speculation was short treasuries. I believe that coming into the jobs report this morning, we actually had the reverse type of positioning where speculators are now long treasuries looking for a break below 4%. And you didn't get that today. As the end of the year approaches very quickly, as liquidity begins to think out, uh, thin out, rather, I think that has an effect on markets overall. So I actually think right now you might have put in a low print for the month of uh, December here for the 10-year uh, where we were early this morning. Uh, Jim Labenthal, uh, we finally 
we've finally got you uh, your audio right. I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show today. Uh, what's your thought here based on, on this report where yields have moved to? Joe's doing some trimming of some, of some big winners. You're obviously the most bullish person that we have on the, on the show on a regular basis. Where are you today? I'm pretty happy with the with the report, Scott. Uh, you know, the thing I was worried about was that you might get a really lousy payrolls print. And if you're bullish on the markets and bullish on the economy, you can't afford a really lousy labor market. There's been some cracks. We've known that. Uh, continuing claims uh, on the weekly uh, jobless claims are an example of that. So you really, in my position, you wanted a strong labor report. You got it. And frankly, you got the other side of what you wanted, which is year over year average hourly earnings up 4.0%. Now that's a little bit higher than the Fed wants, but one's got to pair that with the productivity numbers from earlier this week. Inflation can continue to come down with 4.0% wage gains as long as productivity is above 5% as it is. So this was a pretty good report. I'm pretty happy with it. And it supports the leadership rotation that Jenny was talking about and which I believe is going to continue into the next year. Well, I mean, you did have the lowest annual wage growth since 21. So, you know, there was almost something for everybody, I, I feel like today. And the market is still trying to, to, yes. to figure out where it wants to go. The NASDAQ included, which, you know, that's been a real question of late as to whether there is going to be this leadership change. I want to take a look at shares of Alphabet today because it was such a story yesterday. Remember, it was our lead because we made it our chart of the day on this announcement that they did with Gemini, finally rolling out their AI model to, you know, what seemed to be rave reviews. If you guys remember, I cited maybe three or four different notes from Wall Street analysts and the commentary was all glowing. Then we had Steve Kovac on, of course, our, our ace tech reporter who said, well, you know what? Some are suggesting that maybe this isn't all that it's cracked up to be. And then you had that was from the information which Steve cited yesterday. Then TechCrunch today, Google's best Gemini demo was faked. That's their headline. The Verge, Google just launched an AI, a new AI and has already admitted at least one demo wasn't real. So we bring Steve Kovac back on with us today to figure out what in the world <laughs> is going on. Now, the stock is now negative by one and a right. half percent. But maybe, some of, maybe, maybe some of this is filtering through. What do we what do we know? Yeah. So that video demo of Gemini that everyone is kind of going crazy over Sudar Prachat. Uh, shared it on X and it's been getting a lot of attention, including on CNBC. It was edited. It was it was cut to look like it was faster and more capable than it actually is. Uh, uh, Google has been kind of not showing this in demos to people in, as well. So it's basically what we're looking at here is it's called multimodal, Scott, which means really fancy way of saying Gemini is supposed to be able to take in visual cues, audio cues, and text cues and kind of collate all that together to give you the answer. That's not what Google actually did when they shot this video we're looking at. What they did was feed it text prompts and then over that do the, some voiceover to kind of show what it could look like. So I've been pressing Google on this. They finally gave me a statement saying this is actually meant to be an illustrative version of what, Google, of what Gemini could be like when it's finally out and when it finally launches. But this is important because a lot of startups who want to get into AI, who want to start tapping into large language models, maybe want to look for an alternative mm -hmm. outside of OpenAI or Anthropic or something, might be looking to Google. Google, but Google's making promises about this one product that it's it's just not there yet, and it's not clear whether or not it's better or good enough to compete with ChatGPT. Interesting yet. things you, you just said. Um, 
what it could be. Exactly. The market has already determined what ChatGPT is. Correct. Not what it could be. And that's why Microsoft has done what it's done. And for NVIDIA's sake, what their GPUs are, not what they can be. These are things that are deemed to be more monetizable in a faster fashion. Exactly. Then now we're throwing cold water on the whole idea of Alphabet being able to catch up to Microsoft in a faster frame than some had suggested. And th that's exactly what this is. And even before it really came to light that this video was altered or manipulated or fake or whatever you want to call it, even before that, there were still questions whether or not that uh, Gemini model was good enough as uh, ChatGPT4. Also, there's uh, ChatGPT5, of course, on the way, which is going to be even a leap beyond that. And so, look, if you're if you're making a decision today and who's winning this race right now, it, it's not Google yet. It doesn't mean they can't get there. And it's also very uh, illustrative what they're thinking now and the pressure they're feeling, where they feel like they have to put out these demo videos that are manipulated, that are edited. Because remember early in February where they had that demo where Bar just completely gave the wrong answer, mm -hmm. nuked tens of billions of dollars in market value from the company because of that. They Sure, they avoided that mistake, but it's also not exactly honest about what this is capable this of. This makes you think that they are, these are my words, obviously, um, desperate and defensive. Oh, absolutely. Desperate to catch up to Microsoft, defensive that they don't have what it takes to do so. New York Times had a great report uh, over last weekend just talking about how Google was kind of caught flat-footed by the launch of ChatGPT last fall. Suda Prachai comes in and tries to rearrange everything. They created a new AI division with the head of Google DeepMind now running all of this stuff. So, yeah, they are, they are working and making a huge effort to catch up, but they still haven't. And this uh, new model that was supposed to at least get them on par with the competition, it's still unclear whether or not it can do it despite what they tried to show uh, earlier this week. So, Jim, um, you, you heard what you know Steve has to suggest. You're in the stock. Um, does this set your own thinking back based on the, the, the shade that's being thrown? Well, there's, there's obviously some uncovering of the truth to be done still, but I think what's going on here, Steve and Scott, is that the market is synthesizing what Brad Gerstner said last week, which is that Google has really uh, you know, given away the lead to Microsoft with what Josh Brown said yesterday. And I listened to him and he said, don't count out uh, Alphabet. Remember, Google was late to the search game and now it's a verb. You Google something the way you used to Xerox something. Now, the way the market has synthesized this is to give Google a 20x forward multiple, while it gives Microsoft a 30x multiple. And if you ask me, that discount of one third of the valuation actually gives an asymmetric upside risk to Alphabet shares. I, I think if you're counting out Alphabet as being unable to compete in ChatGPT, then we're not giving enough credit to the DeepMind acquisition and to the overall engineering prowess at Alphabet. I've got my money on Alphabet. I own both stocks, but I'm much more overweight. Uh, in fact, it's the only tech stock I'm overweight in Alphabet versus Microsoft. I see the compelling valuation, and they will catch up. Yeah, and that's sure. And I don't think anyone's doubtful that Google can catch up. It's just they're not there now, and it's the kind of 
I don't know, dishonesty of how they're presenting what they have today, not tomorrow, not next year, today, and people making their decisions today as they want to build it into this stuff. It's it's not there yet. Doesn't mean it won't get there. Doesn't mean some a non-Google, a non-OpenAI could come up out of the woodwork next mm -hmm. year and, and have something better. But right now, it's not there. I think there are legitimate questions, Weiss, as to whether they can catch up. That, you know, they, they seeded way too much when they had to Jim's point yes they had deep mind in-house I've had on numerous occasions the you know one of the co-creators of, of deep mind Mustafa Suleiman on with us he no longer is there um, it just speaks volumes as to they are racing to figure this out in a way that they don't see too much ground to Microsoft and I'm just wondering how you would view this latest episode in the whole prism where, you know, we've heard Brad Gerstner say, no, they, they can do something and they will, but they just gave away the store. Yeah, I, I disagree with that. I, I think that's uh, overstating what's going on. Look, it, it's not as if Google is, you know, a, uh, a company that's trying to raise their next dollar to hire some more engineers to catch up with OpenAI. It's a very, very you know, well-funded company with so much excess cash and money can cure a lot of ills and could close the gap. They will close the gap. Uh, as you can see from, you know, from what's happened in tech and time memoriam, they will close it. I wouldn't call this abject dishonesty. It was a marketing issue and it's the second marketing issue they had. And if they haven't addressed uh, the individuals that are responsible for this, they should. But the other thing I'd say is that there will always be a gap between the valuation in Google and Microsoft. Microsoft has a much more robust <coughs> subscription model than Google does, and that's what markets pay for, for that recurring revenue and the ability to charge more for that revenue stream. So that's why Microsoft is my largest position. I'm not worried about Google. It's a pretty sizable yeah. position. They'll do quite well. And it's also, frankly, helps me on the, on the lack of cyclicality in my portfolio because ad, you know, the ad revenue is somewhat cyclical. So, so I'm fine with it. This is just noise today. If you notice, the, the stock's only giving a part of their gain from yesterday. So the market's still enthused about what's mm -hmm. going on there. No, that's fair. City's still bullish on it, too. They set the stage for a product ramp in 2024. That's what they're tar talk, uh, talking about today. Excuse me. Reiterate uh, with a target of, of 153. Uh, on Alphabet. So your point's well taken, Steve. Thank you. Appreciate that, Steve Kovac. By the way, there's optimism more so on Apple. Two today, the price target goes to 220 from 210. Morgan Stanley, Eric Woodring is the analyst there. He's going to be on with me at closing bell, three o'clock, so you don't want to miss that. It all brings to light, Jenny, this conversation yet again about, and you, you referenced it at the top of the program, whether tech is going to lead into 2024, even if it doesn't lead, if it's still gonna have a great year. B of A's flow show, which we follow, Michael Hartnett, largest growth outflow since December of 2021 is what they had this week. What do you make of that? Well, it's logical. And so when we talk about it leading next year, and I'm listening to the whole Google conversation, I think when we're talking about who's bullish, who's bearish, we really need to put magnitudes around all of this. And so I, here's what I see. I look down my list and I've got Meta, Apple, Amazon, Google, Netflix, 
and they're all kind of looking at earnings growth, and, and I was wrong on this when we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I thought it was a little lower than it is. But they all have earnings growth, except for NVIDIA, really in the 15, 18% range. They're all trading at multiples of 20 to 40 times. And so to me, that's fine. Right? I don't think there's significant downside from here because to Steve's point, these are, these are really stabilizing acyclical companies. They can stabilize your portfolio. They're great businesses, but they've had a huge run this year. They're trading at fair valuations. I do not think there's significant upside in, term, in terms of just magnitude. If, to me, if we get lucky next year, they have, I don't know, a market-like return. Call it a 7 to 9% return. That seems fair. Hmm. Then I think when you think about that flow show comment, you step away and you look at elements of our portfolio, like United Rentals or Schwab, and you see companies that are trading at 10, 12, 13 times earnings and have high teens to 20% earnings growth. I think that in a year like we're in, where transparency is coming in and we're not going to just rely on shiny stories as much, I think the money transfers to those kind of companies where the valuation's low and the earnings growth is high. And you've said, hey, you know what? I've had my run in these big guys. Let's move into something that has more upside potential from here. I mean, even 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 Uber, even Uber bull Tom Lee uh, agrees that that tech's not going to lead next year, but he still thinks it's going to do good. Here's what he told me yesterday on Closing Bell. Right. It's that I think the earnings growth they produce doesn't look as special if the PMIs are turning up. If the ISM turns up, S&P earnings are going to grow, you know, 15, 20 percent. And then on terms of multiple expansion, I think it's, people are going to be more willing to fade a FANG multiple expansion, whereas they'll buy a financials multiple expansion. So, all right, he still thinks that FANG is going to outperform. He said, well, let's say the S&P is up 12 to 15, which he thinks it will be. FANG could outperform that. It's just not going to outperform financials, which he thinks can be up 30. Industrials can be up 25. Small caps, small caps can be up 50 because he's bullish on the overall story. I said he's got the highest target on the street. You know, the, the, the interesting thing to see as well is what the retail cohort thinks about all of this as we head into 2024. They seem to be growing more bullish, too. Kate Rooney's following that money for us today. What'd you find, Kate? Hey, Scott. So the retail investor does seem to be a bit more bullish. We're seeing more risk in the market. In the past week, we saw the strongest inflows since March of last year. That's according to data from J.P. Morgan. Individual traders invested $6.8 billion in the past week. Almost half of that went to individual stocks. There's also some evidence that they are ramping up risk as well. One sign of that is money flowing out of money market funds. Those funds and ETFs have seen record inflows this year as rates climbed. But for the first time since May, flows to money market ETFs went into negative territory. That's according to Vanda Research. Vanda also says it's seen traders moving out of the more defensive big tech names you guys have been talking about into some of the riskier small cap software names in the Russell 2000. They note a lot of buying in those crypto proxy stocks as well. J.P. Morgan points out an uptick in GameStop inflows this week. That is the original meme stock, often a poster child for risk taking. And then finally, a lot of buying in Tesla, Scott. Back to you. Yeah, good stuff. Kate Rooney, thanks so much. So, Jim, what do you think of that? So money is going to come out of of um, money market funds, going to go into the market. What Tom Lee said, Fang's going to do well, but it's going to be well outdone by financials, industrials and small caps. 
Well, I, I completely agree with Tom. No surprise there. Uh, you know, if you just think about the FANG for a second, let's just say these guys return 10% in the year. The problem with that in the year forward, the problem with that is the volatility is probably going to be breathtaking. I mean, look at this year with a stock like NVIDIA, which went to 500 in August, then dropped 20% to 400 in October before climbing 25% back to 500 last month. You know, you can put up with that breathtaking volatility if you're getting 200% returns as you are this year in NVIDIA. Can you do that if you're only getting 10% in FANG names next year? I think it's going to be hard pressed. I think you're going to shake out some of the tech investors, some of the FANG investors, if you get that sort of volatility without those sorts of returns. Now, 10% is still fine, but I think with the, and Jenny was saying this, the combination of good earnings growth outside of tech in a non-recessionary environment, combined with their valuations, favors excellent returns in the financials, industrials, small caps, materials. That's where I'm overweighted, frankly. I'm going to go to your nemesis to see if he agrees. Um, Weiss, financials, industrials, small caps, and then tech. What do you think? I think there's got to be a lot clearer path to the Fed cutting rates. Uh, and even then, if it's because the economy is really declining, uh, you're not going to see those rally. So it, you've got to be very selective there, and they're economically sensitive. And I don't believe that a soft landing is assured. And that right now, the soft landing, of course, is a controlling narrative in the market, which is why the stocks are where they are. I think that's got to be proven out. Now, if we do get rate cuts, uh, these it'll start from these stocks being lower than where they are right now. So, no, I'm not in that camp. I do believe you need balance sheet, you need predictable growth, predictable cash flow, and those stocks will outperform. Now, look, we could be in a situation where you had energy outperform, so much so in 2022, I guess it was, 2021, but look at where it came from. It came from negative prices on oil. So think about what that means. That means that you've got to see industrials, et cetera, trade lower so that they can outperform. Right now, they're just not, some are compellingly cheap, but some definitely aren't. All right, we'll take a break, come back. We have more stocks on the move today, several committee names, including Lululemon hitting record highs. We'll get shareholder reaction to that, of course. We've got some earnings coming up next week as well. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. 
Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Okay. We're back. I want to start with some earnings and the look ahead. Get you set up ahead of that. Jimmy Oracle, it's on Monday in overtime. You own it. Yeah, this uh, stock had a great surge earlier in the year, and it's been kind of flat. But I, I think this is a great example of a hybrid value and growth tech stock. The multiple at 20 times is really quite forgiving for a stock that looks like it's going to grow earnings for the next few years at 15%. It's going to do that on the back of the cloud architecture that it's offering uh, to corporate America. This is a company that knows a lot about software, uh, and, and I really think that it's uh, underpriced at this level. Now, let me say one thing, though. I'm not expecting this quarter as some blowout quarter. This is more of a steady eddy returner over the next couple of years. I do think the quarter will be good with some upside potential. I'd be very surprised if there's downside to the quarter. Yeah, I think we have Joe. I think you're good. Um, you have Adobe and Costco. Adobe's on Wednesday, Costco on Thursday, which, by the way, Costco's at a new 52-week high. Yeah, far more excited about Costco, Scott, than I am about Adobe. I think Adobe, uh, it's a name that you could hold in terms of software being a core holding, but I think much of the gains so far year to date have already been priced in. Part of that chase for performance, which I think is coming to an end. Costco, I'm very excited about. The stock is actually breaking out to an all-time high. They're clearly winning in an environment where there's a lot of friction in consumer trends, in particular as it relates to the necessities that are being purchased at places like Target and Walmart. So I think even if Costco comes in with a slight degree of disappointment on a dip, you want to be a buyer of this name and hold it for 2024. All right, so you, at the top of the program, and I'm looking on my fact set here, on the top of the program, we noted mm -hmm. the stocks that had gone up a lot that you were taking some profits in. I'm looking at Lululemon which year-to-date's up 51%. Obviously, you know, we're coming, on the back of, we're coming on the back of the numbers. It hit a new 52-week high today. What'd you say? Not doing it. Not taking any profit in Lululemon. They just have such a distinctive advantage. They are clearly in, sit, sitting in a position where they are the best in category by far. Billion-dollar buyback. And guess what? The guidance was actually conservative. The guidance was conservative. The stock breaks out above the November of 2021 high. I'm staying with this name. Doesn't mean I don't like Nike. Doesn't mean I wouldn't buy Nike at some point. But I think what Lululemon delivered yesterday is exactly what you want as a shareholder in terms of the growth, the capital allocation strategy, and the conservative guidance. Jimmy, make the sales pitch for Nike because you own that. And there's been some lists, you know, there have been some lists out this week that suggest time to take Lulu down a notch, not to be negative on it, but think that if you're gonna choose between the two, that there's more upside and much more upside from the Nike side at this particular point than there is from the Lulu side. I'll make the sales pitch. You asked for it, here it goes. First off, the momentum is tremendous in this name, up 25% since the last earnings call about three months ago. Why is that momentum there? Because of the fundamentals. They've got inventory under control, which means they can raise prices. They're doing the direct-to-consumer route, which increases their margins as well. And there's signs that China is actually picking up in demand. Now, that's pretty tentative. But all the fundamentals are in place. You combine that with momentum, and the end of year, people aren't going to want to sell a stock that's got uh, short-term gains in it. I don't right now. Uh, so I think you just let the momentum run in Nike. 
Jenny, you, you want to weigh in on either side of this debate? Yeah, it's really interesting. So we spent this week at the Goldman Financial Services Conference and watching the Morgan Stanley Retail Conference online. And what you hear is October was a little squishy. November, the consumer was stronger. Sales were good. And so I kind of hear this echoing back in Joe's enthusiasm about Costco and Lulu and Kate saying retail, is flowing, uh, retail flows are higher than tech flows. And so it's interesting because what I keep thinking is the consumer just isn't quite as weak as expected. So, you know, we own VF Corp, which um, we're pretty much flat on where we bought it, but then they announced earnings a month ago, cut the dividends, stock was down. But you know what? Their business is like Lulu. It's it's Smartwool and North Face and Timberland and Vans. And the reality is, is that business is in the process of a turnaround. That kind of consumer is holding up. We saw it at Deckers and Skechers, Walmart, again, Lulu. And so we just need to remember the consumer's not as bad as what was anticipated in these stocks. And the ones particularly that are trading at fair valuations that were overly punished, there's a lot of upside potential out there. All right, Weiss, you want to weigh in? Sure, I do think the consumer's uh, actually worse than the uh, than people keep talking about. The main dialogue is consumers, consumers okay, consumers healthy. Look at you know Black Friday spending, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's just not the case. That's what we hear from the banks. That's what we hear from the credit card companies, and that's what we've heard from a lot of retailers. Lulu's got a unique product set, a new offering. It's an experience. It's not North Face. North Face is more of a commodity product. So look, I regret I saw Lulu way too long ago to uh, to want to recount because it just brings tears to my eyes. So they're they run a great <laughs> even Dracula cries form. every and now it, and then, folks. That's yeah, the moral even, of this story. Every once in a while, every once in a while, I've got a human aspect Four to ways. me that I try to really suppress. And most times, don't break character, Steve. Don't go get excited on us. Point, <laughs> at some point, Lulu is pretty expensive. Costco, in my view, is very expensive. But it's a great place to go when you're trading down, so maybe it's in the right spot. So both companies got to give management a lot of credit. Nike, China's not coming back. China's getting worse. If that's what you're depending on, then I would sell the stock because everything you read, the economy is horrendous. Uh, and just wait until the private lending, the trust companies really start going belly up and people realize that they've got no money in savings. Know. So I'd stay go ahead and show it, I don't it, know Steve. what you're reading, Steve. Go ahead and like, what are you reading Steve, that the economy is horrendous? Ahead. I saw, I'm reading facts. I saw 15, okay, but I saw 15 financial services companies, and you're hearing straight from the CEOs, like, here's what's going on. Here's what delinquency rates actually look like. Yes, they're up a little bit. Yes, they're still way below 2019 levels. We're monitoring them closely. The consumer, the bulk of the consumer is still pretty healthy. You see the jobless numbers. You know wages have increased. You then go from that to the retail conference, and they're seeing the same kind of thing. It's not horrendous. Like, maybe you're self-selecting what you're reading for a particularly negative scenario, but right now, so, let me, let me see if I understand what you're saying. So what you're saying is CEOs of companies that are publicly traded are out there telling a positive story on their fundamentals. Okay? I'm looking at the data. They're literally saying, here are our and when numbers. You look at, when you look at credit card charge-offs, they're higher. When you look at household balance sheets, they're lower. They're not as robust as they were. From what, Steve? So From those peak are the data. levels in the so pandemic. So those are leading. The, 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 those are leading indicators. Weiss, you okay? said not, you you said stories. Weiss, you said yourself at the outset here when you were giving all of the reasons why you said the consumer was negative. One of the straight things you said was, well, all the the banks are saying it, but now 
Jenny cites, you know, commentary that that works in in her favor, and now you're throwing cold water on it as, as if it's meaningless. Come on, man! Well, I'm not I, saying it's meaningless. I, I saying we disagree. I'm saying we disagree. Hey, but, Scott, but what does Jamie Dimon say? Jamie Dimon's never been as negative. He talks about the consumer all the time. Jamie's I don't think always all the negative. Jamie, ha listen. The, the, Jamie knows 101 under others. promise over deliver. He's always negative. Okay, I, okay, but here's the thing, Steve. When you're talking about charge-offs, you're talking about versus peak, right? Because if you go back to pre-pandemic 2019, charge-offs, delinquencies, all of those numbers kind of across the board are still okay. Like, yes, they're on an upward trajectory. Everyone needs to keep a close eye on it. But when you're saying their delinquencies and charge-offs are higher, that's versus like 2021 and 2022 when everyone was still sitting flush with $4 trillion that got dumped in their pockets. So if you normalize it and go back to what things were pre-pandemic, pre-distorted economy, I think they're more okay. Real quick, Count. I don't think more we're in quick. for some nasty the, the trend quick, in the quick, data, quick. the trend of consumer <laughs> data is lower, period. End of story. All right. Bertha Coombs, it's not Versus a moment in time that you invest, in. You invest in the future. Has the headlines for us. Hi, Bertha. Hi, Scott. The United Nations Security Council has delayed a vote on a demand for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. The council pushed it several hours to allow time for U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken to attend a planned meeting with Arab ministers. The U.S. ambassador to the U.N. says the U.S. does not support the calls for the ceasefire. Some Russian athletes will be allowed to compete at the 2024 Olympics in Paris. The International Olympic Committee confirmed their participation as neutral athletes today, removing the option of a blanket ban over Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The IOC says eight Russians are among 4,600 athletes worldwide who have qualified so far for the Summer Games. Ukraine called the update irresponsible. And the banner year for Taylor Swift just keeps going. Polestar says her sold-out Eras Tour is the first to cross the billion-dollar mark. The publication did not clarify whether they'd adjusted for the past tour data for inflation to get an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. Still, Polestar found the pop star sold nearly 4.5 million tickets across 60 tour dates. I think we just, should just call 2023 the Taylor Swift year. Well, she was person of the year, so I think, right. we, I think we already did. Bertha, thanks. Coming up, we'll do our calls of the day, including downgrades for two big chip makers. Halftime's back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Let's do some calls of the day. Qualcomm, Jimmy, downgraded today to equal weight from overweight at Morgan Stanley. They say we're shifting our smartphone exposure from defense to offense, downgrading Qualcomm as the stock has hit the price target. 
I was a little surprised, a little bit disappointed to see that downgrade. But okay, I know there's been a lot of false dawns in this stock. They did have a good quarter last quarter. If you get another one uh, showing that the handset cycle is picking up, I think it's going to be off to the races. But more importantly than that, Scott, this is a company that has very little debt, $7 billion of net debt. It generates about $10 billion of free cash flow a year. And I think we all have to ask ourselves, what are they going to do with that cash? I don't think they're going to do a major buyback. I think they're going to find an acquisition, probably something to bolster their uh, their driver applications business. So I, I would stay tuned. When you've got a company that's, that's generating as much cash and has a good history of acquisitions, let's see what they do. Joe, they also hit Lamb Research, uh, did Morgan Stanley. They say, we're moving our industry view on semiconductor capital equipment from inline to cautious. So they downgrade this stock from overweight to equal weight, again, because the stock hit the price target, so they see limited upside from here. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what, Scott, I don't disagree with this call, actually. Lamb Research is my favorite semi-equipment name. You could also maybe take a look at Teradyne coming up as a second uh, rival to Lamb being the best one out there. But it's best in breed, clearly. But there is right now a little bit of a general sense that in the semi-equipment cycle, you're beginning to see a little bit of a rise in terms of inventories and a little bit, as you move forward, of difficulty in terms of achieving what will be very difficult comps as you move to, through 2024. So this is a name that is in the Joe ETF, not a name that uh, I own personally, but in fact, this is a name that I believe could be uh, hitting their head up against the ceiling here for the next several quarters. You know, many energy stocks have had a tough go of it. Uh, Transocean's not one of them. Rig is up 28.5% this year, and what's been really tough, as you know, because oil prices have been coming down. Yet you've got Schlumberger, uh, the former Schlumberger, now SLB, uh, Halliburton, Transocean, named top picks over at Evercore ISI. Jim, you've got Transocean. Yeah, it, it's been a good stock for the last two years, but it's been terrible for the last three months. Um, I, I very strongly believe in this company because even at $70 a barrel, uh, the demand for offshore drilling rigs is very, very high. And uh, Transocean has 11 rigs or one third of its fleet cold stacked, ready. And they're basically the only game in town if you want to drill offshore which CapEx budgets across the industry show that these companies want to drill offshore. You want to drill offshore? I mean, I don't want to be Mel Gibson in, in The Road Warrior, but if you're Transocean, you're saying, you got to come to me. <laughs> All right, we'll take a quick break. Mike Santoli's on the other side with his midday word. We're back on The Half right after this. Mike Santoli's here with me at the desk here, our senior markets commentator. Um, I feel like the, the market activity today is suggesting that we really didn't get much to swing anything either way. Um, unemployment rate falls, but annual wage growth is the slowest since 21. Yeah. Inflation ex expectations dropped by a lot, but jobs were hotter. So all the preceding data kind of led us up to this point, I think, to expect moderating growth, especially adjusting for the strike effect on payrolls and um, still resilient activity in general. So it's healthy, uh, but slowing. And I think the market was around that spot. Mm -hmm. What's interesting to me is uh, yields, I've been talking for a couple of days, they seem poised to bounce no matter what. Sure. And they're bouncing a little bit, still in a comfortable range, and oil doing the same thing. So a lot of the sort of easing of financial conditions 
that sort of disinflationary push that we got that helped stocks get up to the July highs, you know, maybe it's just getting uh, about to the extent of what that's going to give you for the moment. And then it's about, you know, what's next. And so uh, it's a very calm response. I think market can be kind of relaxed here. Maybe we're going to have to go in search of something else big to worry about because we seem to be running out of it in the short term. But uh, it, it's hard to argue with uh, the market taking it in stride. Mm-hmm. But again, you didn't really find anything fresh to feed off. Maybe the, the pop in yields or the, you know, the move in oil, just like a fast trade sort of thing. And then you turn the weekend over and then you've got, you know, CPI and then you've got a Fed meeting. So it's going to get real again yeah. next week. Right. And, and look, if it's, if it's all in line with what we've already been seeing, then I think the market can say, we, we figured it out for this year. Uh, we can all argue about the timing of the first rate cut, but I don't think that's all that pertinent to how the market trades in the here and now. All right. I'll see you on Closing Bell. Yeah. It's Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. We do have a deal on the industrials today. Honeywell is buying Carrier Global Security uh, Unit. Jenny owns Carrier, which means we get, we, we get her take next. Welcome back. Shares of Carrier Global higher today. Honeywell announcing plans to acquire the company's security business for roughly $5 billion. So, Jenny, you own Carrier. What you think? Right. So we added this to our growth portfolio a couple years ago with the idea that earnings were strong and the valuation was depressed. And this just reiterates that. So what you've got is you've got Carriers now being able to create a more focused HVAC growth company orientation, get rid of the security. They're going to use the proceeds to pay down debt. The goal is to get debt to two times um, net debt to EBITDA. And then what you see is carriers got a 12 times EBITDA multiple. Honeywell paid 17 times for this unit. And you've got earnings growth at carrier of 16% next year, 6% the year after that, 8% the year after that. So it kind of goes back to my theme and my thought, which is on these companies where the earnings growth is more evenly matched with valuation, it takes nothing. It takes a little thing like this to say like, hey, it's undervalued. And the needle can be moved significantly to the to the credit of increased um, share price and capital appreciation. So I love this. It's like totally on theme for me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> on theme, speaking of for you, Jimmy, Paramount, it's up 14%. Uh-huh. 14% yeah, I mean, I guess more, on more deal speculation. So it's, uh, it's your day in that stock today. Yeah, and it's been a good month. I mean, stock's up 60% a month. Obviously, it was oversold, but M&A is the way out of the morass here. This really all depends on Sherry Redstone and National Amusements. When Paramount cut the dividend earlier this year, that really put cash flow into a problem category for national amusements. There's now talk about an equity infusion possibly coming into uh, national amusements, which would take any potential selling pressure off of Paramount uh, Global. But I think ultimately what's really moving this stock is the potential bundle with Apple, um, as well as at some point, somebody's going to probably buy the whole company. I I think the the sentiment has clearly turned. The momentum is positive. Oh, and by the way, the operational results turned around as well. So All right. I like holding the shares here. All right, quick break. Final trades on the other side of that.
All right, I hope you join me on Closing Bell today. 3 o'clock Eastern time, we've got Cameron Dawson on set with me today. Eric Woodring, I mentioned him earlier from Morgan Stanley, the Apple analyst with a new bullish note. He'll join me as well, along with Shannon Sakosha. So I'll see you in a couple hours' time. Jenny, final trade, you first. Okay, Ardon Metals, they make aluminum cans. The parent company is Ardon Group, and they are hell-bent on Ardon Metals paying you that 10% dividend yield. So even if the stock never grows, you double your money every seven years just on the dividend. Joe? Just as I'm doing, I want the viewers to keep their eye on Twilio. It's a name to be long in the next coming year. Farmer, Jim. Boeing, it's less than a percent away from a 52-week high. It looks like it's going to take that out. Momentum is strong on a lot of good fundamentals. Okay. And who knows, maybe China comes back to the order book soon. Count D. That's your new nickname, Count D. What do you have? Quick. <laughs> Taiwan Semi. Every semi name was right. mentioned on this show, Taiwan Semi mentioned. All right, I'll see you. The exchange is after this break. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 